You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Uh oh, look here, I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to The Edge, the weekly podcast of the Bass Edge television show on the Versus Network. I am your host, Aaron Martin. Over the next hour, we are going to be speaking with BASS elite angler, Ken Broder, as well as Rich Dalby from Ads on the Go. In addition, I will also be announcing the winner of our weekly giveaway, as well as tell you how to get in on the action so that uh, you don't miss out on any of the great stuff that we're giving away. Finally, uh, we will go to the mailbag and answer this week's listener email question. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to make you aware of some updates uh, that are taking place within the Bass Edge community. We recently had our annual uh, Bass Edge production meeting, and that was held at uh, the just the beautiful Blue Springs Ranch Resort. Um, it was located on the Merrimack River, 650 acres. It had over 40-some cabins uh, there. Uh, you can do rafting, great smallmouth fishing, horseback riding, a lot of great things going on there. But it was, it was just a, a great place, and I encourage you to check that out at bluespringsranchresort.com. But we had eight of our Bass Edge uh, department leaders uh, present to map out over the course of three days all of the exciting things that are going to be uh, taking place in Season 2. And out of that meeting, we will be making uh, some major announcements over the next couple of months in which uh, I, th- I think you're going to be um, share my sentiments on that that are going to greatly uh, impact, positively of course, uh, the Bass Edge television show, uh, the website, as well as the Edge podcast. Um, so I am looking forward to sharing just all that great information that's going to be coming down the pipeline here over the next couple months. But finally, I um, wanted to also point out, if you are aware of a product or service that you feel uh, either has the edge or uh, gives you the edge in, in helping uh, pursue this wonderful sport of fishing that we get to participate in, um, please shoot us an email and, and let us know and just send that to podcast at BassEdge.com. And then what we'll do, uh, if it's something that, that we think uh, we can use on the show, uh, we would love the opportunity to talk uh, with that individual or that company um, to see about sharing that with the rest of the listeners uh, that are out there. So again, if you, if you know of, a, of just a really creative or unique, innovative product or service that's, that's currently out in the market and that you like, um, by all means, please shoot us an email and let us know so that we can make sure that uh, we get the information communicated out to the rest of our listeners. So um, again, that's that's some of the things that's going on within the Bass Edge community, but uh, there's still a lot of action ahead. So let's pause for a short break and then we'll join Ken Broder for this week's Angler Spotlight. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. 
Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard. Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard. Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. Okay, we're back on The Edge, and recently I had the opportunity to speak with Ken Broder, who is currently fishing uh, the Bassmasters Elite Series. So let's head right to that interview with Ken Broder. I have the pleasure of being with my good friend, Ken Broder. Ken, welcome, and thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. You know, one of the things, Ken, that uh, I... I always wonder, and I guess that find fascination in, is how in the world did you get into the sport of bass fishing? Well, it was, uh, wasn't hard. I came from the saltwater industry, grew up fishing, you know, anywhere from Fort Lauderdale to Cape Cod, catching giant tuna, blue marlin, flounder, and uh, I happened to be taking out a couple guys one day, and they just saw the intensity of of how I want to catch fish and catch more and bigger ones. And he says, you know, you really got to try this bass fishing. He says, you will love it. This is made for you. There's tournaments every single weekend. You can put in 20 bucks or you could put in $1,000, depending on what level you're at. So I tried. I called up one of the local clubs. I joined the federation, BASS Federation. I joined there, started fishing, and boy... This is the place to be if you want to compete in the bass fishing industry. So your first introduction, was it more from the standpoint directly into competition, or you know, did you start out just more, more pleasure? There was no pleasure at all. <laughs> the, first, the first time I ever went on a freshwater lake to catch bass was a night tournament a little 200-acre pond down the street from my house, and it was a night tournament, and that was it. I loved it. I think uh, I think it was in fourth place out of like 20 guys, and I was in the back of the boat. I had no clue. I couldn't even throw a baitcaster then. So going back to your roots, uh, being a, a saltwater fisherman, obviously you've spent a lot of time uh, on the open waters. Uh, I know that you, you've been a, a charter captain, uh, done a lot of guided tours. Has that, in your opinion, has that helped you, uh, been really no insignificance, um, or has that, you know, played uh, as a detriment? No, definitely not a detriment. Absolutely helps me in a lot of ways. Uh, running a boat through some of the, the big waters up here on the Great Lakes and Champlain, you know, it gets pretty rough on some days, you know, the wind's blowing hard. and Just being able to navigate and know how to run in those big waves and these smaller boats definitely helped me out fishing the saltwater industry and believe it or not there's actually some things that i learned while i was saltwater fishing that i'm applying to the freshwater industry and has helped me out you know to get to where i am today in such a short period of time what's what similarities do you see between the species that you pursued in the saltwater versus the freshwater fish of the largemouth smallmouth or spots well, I, I don't think there's a, a saltwater species that's really like the freshwater bass fish, and I think it's more the the uh, locating them, you know, especially on the deeper structure. We fish a lot of deep structure in the saltwater world, you know, 50, 60, 100, 200 feet, and finding these little rock piles and finding these edges where there's some sweet spots and, and things like that and being able to read your electronics and understand what it's telling you when you're in that deep water is really what I think has helped me from the salt water and bring it into the freshwater industry. Uh, land ranges, you know, getting on a 
getting on a, a rock pile or a hump and being able to look at the shoreline and, and use some land range knowledge that I used in the saltwater industry and, and picking up so I can get right onto that spot right away without having to throw a buoy sometimes. So talking about land range, explain to myself and our listeners, when, when you talk about land ranges, what exactly does that mean? What, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm lining up two different objects, one of them which, for instance, let's take uh, a breakwater with a, a buoy on it, tall metal stanchion, and you can take that and then you pick another object behind it a mile, two, three, four miles up on a hill or something, and as you're moving across the lake, you'll actually see that, that buoy moving on the hill. And you can get that lined up with a tree or the right side of a house or the chimney or something significant that you can see on the far bank. And when you get those two objects lined up time after time, you're going to be right on that spot. So not only do you use the power of the electronics, such as the GPS, by marking waypoints uh, in modern days technology, but really you're using land references to be able to mark these spots um, in addition to, you know, the power of the electronics. Right, absolutely. The good thing about that is that that is a very simple way that individuals who maybe are just starting out in the sport or potentially um, finances, you know, don't have the ability to go out and spend, you know, the dollars right off the bat um, to still be able to be be on fish. I mean, is that... Absolutely, and... Hey, you know, electronics don't always work for you. You happen to get 35 miles down the lake and your electronics are wet or they don't work or, you know, whatever the case may be. You can pull up there and go, yeah, I I can remember this land range here. I was kind of lined up on this and, and it was right in there. And you can idle around a little bit maybe with just your depth finder or with a with a, a flasher unit, you know, not have the, the GPS and things like that and still get pretty close to where you need to be and maybe fine-tune it in, you know, 20 or 30 minutes instead of just being totally out of the ball game with no electronics whatsoever. So in your opinion, it's not an either-or situation, but certainly can serve as a complement to backing up as a backup system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, sometimes it's easier just to look up on land and go, oh, I'm downrange. I need to go forward. Or, you know, instead of trying to figure out which way I need to go with the GPS, the boat pointing this way or that way. I think it's. Uh, I think sometimes using the land range, it'll get you back to where you need to be a little bit quicker. You know, you're from Connecticut, is that correct? Connecticut, right. Being from the Northeast, you know, that is not exactly like, uh, let's say, living in Texas or Florida to where, you know, bass fishing is well-received or well-supported. You know, what... What is your thoughts? How do you put yourself in a position against anglers who, you know, potentially have more exposure or more days on the water just because of weather or climate? Well, hopefully in the next six or eight months, I'll be able to convince my wife and daughter that, hey, we need to get where it's a little bit warmer, where I can wear my sandals 12 months out of the year and fish 12 months out of the year in some of the better lakes in the country down south, you know, in Georgia and Alabama, Texas, down that way, and and be able to, you know, learn how to fish some of those man-made reservoirs instead of some of the, the natural-made impounds like we have up here. Do you think that presents a detriment to you being geographically placed where you're currently at in Connecticut? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We just don't have the, the lakes like they have down south. Our ponds are small up here, um, and it's hard to go to a lake that's not 
just infested with boats and houses all around it. And it's just crazy as far as weekend traffic goes and being able to fish it. Um, you know, I saw lakes this year for the first time that I've never seen before. And just the size of, you know, Sam Rayburn, for example, it was just amazing how big those lakes are down there. And there's just a lot more things you can learn fishing a big lake like that than you can fishing a thousand or fifteen hundred acre pond up here. So coming, let's say, from the casual slash weekend angler's perspective, are there opportunities in the Northeast to to be able to go out? learn the sport and have success with? I think if I was to start over again, I would just concentrate fishing down south and try to get as much exposure as I can down there. I mean, well, you got two of the best guys probably in the industry right now. Kevin Van Dam from Michigan, awesome fisherman. Mike Iconelli from Jersey, another awesome fisherman. I mean, they both had... A lot of experience up north before they moved into them southern waters, and uh, you know, so I don't know. Kind of hard to say there, but sure. I would I'd, I would prefer to spend more time down south right now than than up here. But certainly there is that opportunity to be able to go out and enjoy yourself on a pleasure situation. Uh, you have access to those waters as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I had some pleasure, uh, or I rather, I had the pleasure of, of spending some time with you on on Lake George. And really appreciated the the skill level and the talent that you bring in the form of drop shotting. Uh, talk a little bit about you know your approach and and just thoughts on on the technique of drop shotting. Um, well, I I like the light tackle stuff. I mean, if I can fish four, six, and eight pound test every day, that'd be great. But that just doesn't happen. But um. The technique, I think, is something that a lot of people don't use right now. It's something that the fish haven't seen. So I'm trying to expand on that and use it to my advantage as to, you know, something like... It's just something that they haven't seen yet, probably. A lot of guys aren't out in 30 and 40 and 50 feet of water drop shotting. You know, a lot of them like cruising the banks and throwing at docks and things like that up here in the Northeast. And uh, I think the more I pursue that drop shotting technique, the better off I'm going to be in the long run. Talk a little bit about, you know, what what a drop shot actually is and its different applications. Um, drop shotting is basically a Texas rig or just a worm or some type of bait that is suspended up off the bottom. Kind of looks a little more natural than your typical bait that's just getting dragged through the grass or through over the rocks. It's suspended up off the bottom. I think the fish can see it a lot easier. You know, they can be further away it could be you know up above a rock and they could be below and still see that that bait um so is the weight actually where you know traditionally i grew up as a as a shallow water fisherman uh the thing that is seems so i don't want to say backwards but different on a drop shot versus other type of rigs, whether it be a Carolina rig or a Texas rig, is, is really the positioning of the weight and, and how you fish that. Um, well, yeah, positioning of the weight is big. But, you know, you just mentioned you're a shallow water fisherman. Drop shotting isn't only for deep water. I use it when I'm bed fishing. I use it if I'm in, you know, Hudson River, for example, flipping the outside edges of that chestnuts. You can drop shot the edge of that stuff 
and catch them. You know, instead of that jig just blowing right by them, hitting the bottom, and you're jiggling on the bottom, you put that drop shot on there, it gives them a little bit different view of what's going on, and you got that bait sitting in there in front of their face a little bit longer. If they're suspended in that grass, I think it's a it's a great shallow water or good technique to try in there. Bed fishing, another good one. <clears throat> Bed fishing, I try to use a longer leader, heavy weight. And get that bait so it's going to be over the top of the bed and just kind of let that lizard or whatever creature bait you might have on there just kind of sink into that bed slowly. And it triggers a lot of nice bites. One of the things about drop shotting is is its versatility. You know, talking about fishing it on a bed, talking about, you know, keeping the bait off the bottom or fishing the water chestnuts. You can also utilize that, that rig for fishing vertically for suspended fish, you know, fish that maybe are um, suspended out over deeper water, but, you know, potentially relating more towards the upper part of the water column. Right. I, I have caught a few that way. It's not something uh, I would say I'm, I'm good at or it's a strong point of my drop shotting technique, but it's something that I'm uh, hopefully going to be working on this, this coming year. You know, maybe a table rock on them them trees there. That seemed to be pretty interesting. I saw that this year for the first time, and that really got my my interest up, and I'd definitely like to go back and try some of that drop shot and on some of those suspended-type fish. What do you think, in your opinion, has been the key to your successes uh, as development as a pro? You know, you've obviously came up through the ranks fairly quickly, you know, coming from the age of 35 till present. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, your learning curve has been quite steep. Um, sitting back and listening, you know, if you can get amongst the guys and just listen to what they have to say a little bit instead of always talking and think you know everything. Oh yeah, I've done that. Oh yeah, I've done this. Just sit back, take it all in, analyze it and take as much as you can from everybody else and just try to take what they give you and improve on it, you know? So always come from the standpoint of being a student. Right. Always learning. You have to learn constantly. Um, you know, reading books is always good. There's a lot of good shows on TV now, techniques, how to do things. And granted, there's a lot of things on the TV that you probably already do or you know about, but sometimes just that one little thing in that TV program might be five seconds long, but it's something that's different than what you're doing, which will help you catch more fish. And that's the great thing about the sport of bass fishing is that you know, there is no one or the only way to catch bass. And certainly you've been exposed to that on tour this year uh, by just the different lakes that, you know, that you've had to fish. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of different styles of fishing. Gosh, some guys were out flipping the wood, you know, Tommy Biffle up on uh, Oneida. Nobody ever thought in a million years that flipping in three feet of water was going to win on Oneida with all them smallies up there. But there were still other guys that were out there catching a lot of fish, you know, smallies and still having a good a good tournament. So, it, yeah, it is versatile. You never know what's going to work from day to day. Do you, you know, what what is your strategy so that you're not placed in a box, I guess, when you go to a lake? Do you have things that you do or or don't do when you go to a new body of water? How do you break that down so that you can have success? I try to take a lake and pick a section that has a lot of uh, a lot of types of cover that I like to fish. You know, shallow, grass. I love grass fishing. 
if I can get in some grass, pick a part of the lake that has a lot of that with different coves and some deep water and a lot of vers- versatile contours and things like that, that's probably where I'm going to start. Not a big long run from the ramp. You know, I want to spend more time fishing because I'm not familiar with the lake instead of running you know, an hour, an hour and a half to a part of the lake that I'm not very familiar with and spend more time in an area that's closer to the ramp. So to anglers that, you know, are wanting to improve their skill set, whether it be on a new body of water or a body of water that maybe they have some familiarity with, where is their starting point? You know, is it maps? Is it just time on the water? Is it, you know, where does someone take that information and be able to to catch fish yeah maps are a great tool to use it's good something you can do at home sit in the table you look at them um i started drawing out contour lines on some of my maps you know just when you highlight you know the 20 foot contour line in blue and the 30 con- foot contour line in red it just things just jump out at you instead of it all being the same color so map work is very important try to do that every night you know, after a tournament or during practice, you know, I caught them on this, make a little mark, figure out, and it starts to form a little bit of a pattern for you. So, God, it was on this point. It was on this side of the point, whether it was a fast tapering side of the point or a, far, a uh, fast drop-off, you know, and it starts to form a little puzzle, and it starts to go, wow, you know, I could see more of that over here on this side of the lake. I didn't fish this one. I'm going to go check these five or six or ten or twenty or, or thirty points that look the same as the other points that you fished the day before. What about from the standpoint of, you know, you take a, a body of water and, okay, we've done our map study now. We have the, the areas that we want to at least spend some time focusing on. Uh, do you, are you a believer in using search bait? or, you know, such as the crankbait, spinnerbait, faster-moving baits, or, you know, what is your, I guess, recipe for success? Yeah, I need, uh, I would say I'm a slow fisherman, you know. I I don't like picking up spinnerbait and cranking down the bank or, you know, spending a lot of time with the crankbait. I like to come into an area, idle around, look at it, you know. Sometimes I, I go around a point and, look at it so long i'm dizzy you know it's but you find a little sweet spot some stumps on you know one side of it or the other and you end up spending more time catching fish than you do wasting a lot of time in in a desert instead of you know the 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 sweet spot on the point so i try to idle around with the big motor find where i want to fish and then fish slow i'm just not a very fast fisherman at this point so your your approach is more methodical and you know working out the area to make sure that you understand that first. Right. Currently we live and are in, I should say, in a time of which information is very plentiful uh, from the standpoint of tournament results, articles that are out there, television shows, so on and so forth. You know, you go to a sporting goods store or Bass Pro, you know, you have 97 different rods and 47 different reels and you know thousands of baits break that down for us so that those of us that are just getting into the sport and just getting started you know what what does a person look for tackle wise keep it simple you know six to one reel you can crank with it. You might not want to throw DD22 all day on a 6-3-1, but it'll get it done. You know, 
keep it simple, keep the reels the same, keep the rods six and a half, seven foot, something that you can handle if you're starting out, you don't want anything too big, um, you know, keep it within your budget so you can, you know, enjoy a day on the lake and not worry about, you know, oh, I just dropped another $500 set over the side of the boat or, you know, things like that. Keep it simple, keep it within the budget. Do you like to, do you like the approach of, you know, mastering one bait or do you kind of like the jack of all trades? You know, I, I don't think I've been fishing long enough in the bass world here to master a bait and I, I don't really know if you could ever master a particular bait or a particular technique because there's always new things coming out. You know, you come up, you start fishing spinner baits, you got the willow leaves, Colorado blades, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, they got another blade out there and changes the whole the whole bait over again. So you're always, I think there's always new product coming out to make that technique either better or just different. And it goes back to diversity. You know, the I think uh, with with you saying that as far as the different baits, again, that's a, that's another area I think that attracts a lot of people to the sport is the challenges that it presents of being able to adapt. Well. I mean, adapting is something that you need to do sometimes on an hourly basis, depending on the weather. Um, you know, the time of the year, the water's warming up. Sometimes these things are just charging to the bank. You know, the spawn, and other times they're in the deeper water, and they're just going deeper like we had on Lake George. I mean, they were in 30, 40 feet of water, and, geez, by the, you know, this time of the year, they were in 60, 70. I mean, that, that's a big change in, in a week, week and a half's time. That, you know, fish are actually going to move 30 feet, and you can go from cranking and spinnerbaiting to, you know, drop shot. I mean, yeah, versatility is definitely, definitely big. If you can, uh, you know, get a little bit of knowledge of all of them, it'll probably help you, but you don't want to have too many different things to go to. I caught myself doing that a few times this year. You know, I'm, I was at Table Rock. I'm trying to figure out how to catch these fish in these trees. I heard about it, read about it. I couldn't figure it out. I don't know. I was on the wrong tree in the wrong part of the lake. Gave it up. Went and started fishing stuff that I knew how to do. Had some confidence in and started catching some fish. So I think you need to um, take some of this versatility and, you know, stick with your strengths during a tournament and take the versatility of things you want to learn during practice and maybe some downtime or something like that when you know so in other words utilize make it true practice days from the standpoint of like a let's say a basketball player stepping to the free throw line and he's going to you know sit there and and shoot 100 free throws to work on that technique or that you know that that shot right go to table rock and fish the trees for 30 days go there and figure it out spend the time there and you know get as close to mastering it as you possibly can instead of, you know, spending three days before a tournament trying right. to figure out this unusual technique. You bring up a good point as far as fishing your strengths. Um, you know, how key is that to an individual that's starting out in the sport? I think it's huge. You know, you got confidence in it, and uh, confidence is big. If you can go out, fish your strengths, you're going to have confidence in it, you're going to do much better than trying to pick up a drop shot and go fish trees in 60, 70, or 80, 100 feet of water and, you know, not get bit. You're just going to be wasting your time. So I think sticking with your strengths is huge. There's been a lot of talk as far as the mental game or the mental approach, uh, not only to the sport of fishing, but golf and, you know, just different activities that are out there. 
how critical or how crucial is the mental aspects of the sport of fishing? I think some people deal with it better than others. I think it's huge. I mean, there's people that can play with your mind while you're putting the boat in the water, and you're fried for the first two or three hours until you get off of that mental problem that you just had over there because Joe said something to you and, you know, got you off your game plan, you know. I mean, that dot talk and the, the chatter about, you know, oh, man, I was crushing them on spinnerbait or, oh, I was catching them drop shot, and you get that in your head. Meanwhile, you're flipping wood up in this creek, and now you want to go do this because you heard it. You just got to get away from that mental that mental thing and try to just focus on what it is that you know and what you've been experiencing the last few three or four or five days worth of practice and not worry about how the other guy's catching them. You can't catch the other guy's fish. You're in the same hole. It's simple. These The fish I'm going to catch are my fish. The fish you're going to catch are your fish. It's, it's just the way it is. You just can't worry about be. somebody else fishing the same hole as you because you could be... The guy in the back of the boat more than once has caught more than the guy in the front of the boat, and you're only 18 feet apart. It's it's all about technique and happen to be the right colored worm or the way he's fishing it or whatever. So get away from what the other guy's doing and just stick with your own game plan. So from the standpoint of, of beginning anglers, um, is is hiring a guide a good place to start for you know technique-specific or lake-specific information? I don't think guides are, are the way to go, no. I think if you were going to hire somebody, you need to find someone that knows how to fish tournaments. I think there's a big difference between a guide. I think a guide fishes spots where tournament anglers are fishing patterns. Um, so explain a little bit of the difference between spot fishing and the theory of pattern fishing. <clears throat> well, the... Uh, the guy just spot fishing, I think he has 15 or 20 spots maybe on a lake, and he just goes there every day. And, hey, if he catches one, that's great. They're in this spot today. Let's go to the other spot, see if they're there. Probably a totally different area. You know, he probably caught them in, in weeds on the first spot. Now the second spot he's going to because he caught them there sometime in the last 10 years. You know, it could be rocks, but he doesn't catch them, but doesn't figure out that he needs to go to the weedy points or where he caught the first four or five fish. <clears throat> if you fish in a pattern, you can figure out, hopefully within the practice area, two, three days, you can figure out that these fish are on the outside edge of the grass line with you know a clay bottom or a sand bottom or something of that sort close by. And you can pick out those areas on a map and go, okay, here's some sand and here's some clay. This is where I caught some fish last time. Let's fish it. And you'll start to develop this this pattern where every time or most of the time you can get into the same type of area, you're going to start catching some fish. So in your opinion, uh, spot fishing versus pattern fishing, what will play more into the longevity of your success? Pattern fishing. You can go to a spot that you caught them on last year, same time of the year. They're not there. Yeah. And you just well, they're just not biting today. Could be the water levels down up. Could be that basically that things have changed, uh, structures washed away, or you know any of the above. Yeah, a lot of things change up here in the Northeast. Ice is a big factor for us. If there's no ice, the weeds start to grow a little bit sooner in the year. You know, it'll start. The water will be warmer. The sunlight's getting through a little quicker, and the grass will start growing sooner. That only means it's going to die sooner. 
So the places you fished last year in September, October, where there was grass, if there was no ice, that's probably already gone by the time you get there in September, October. If you had one thing to pass on to individuals that are getting involved in the sport, whether it be from the standpoint of competition or just, you know, mainly enjoyment, you know, what, what would you, what piece of advice would you offer them? Enjoy every day on the water. You have to, if you're not having fun, go home, you know? It's not worth it. If you're miserable, you're not thinking straight, you're not working at your goals, how to figure out a pattern, how to catch them. If you're not catching them and you're not having fun, take a day off. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. Reconsider what uh, what your priorities are. Huh? Yeah, go home, see the wife and kid or something, you know, I don't know. Uh, go play golf. Yeah. Well, I don't know about golf. <laughs> I don't know. Go home, tie some jigs or yeah. something, pour some worms. Yeah. I don't know. Just do something different. Maybe, you know, work on the boat. Do some preventive maintenance, you know, get yourself ready. Ken, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, would love to sit here and chat with you. I know you're a wealth of information, and uh, I know the day that we had the opportunity to spend on Lake George, uh, you provided a wealth of knowledge and uh, just just had a great, great time and a true true advocate of the sport and a very talented angler. Thanks for being a part of this. My pleasure, Aaron. Anytime, I'm always here for you. Thanks. Next up is the product giveaway. But first, a quick break, and then we will be right back to announce this week's winner. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the toe and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. We are back on The Edge. Each week we randomly draw a winner from the received entries for some great products provided by our sponsors. And to register for the, this free drawing, all that you need to do is just send in an email to podcast at BassEdge.com with the subject line listed as product giveaway. Also, if you would, just place in the body of the email your uh, name and address so that we know where to send out the prize um, when and if you win. Uh, but this week we have a full line of the Bass Edge gear, has a hat, uh, full t-shirt, some stickers, uh, just some different things like that. And uh, I'm confident that that you'll be uh, just as excited as what we are to demonstrate and wear uh, the Bass Edge colors. But the winner of this week's prize package goes out to Tom Malachi from Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. So congratulations, Tom. We will get your prize shipped out this week. Now, just to give you a rundown as far as what's uh, coming up as well, we try and keep this a little bit of a suspense. But um, I know that over the the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be giving away a keel guard. Uh, I know we've got some more of uh, Jay McNamara's books in there, a locker bar, uh, some more great uh, full year supply of mothers. Uh, another B&W hitch will be coming down the pipeline. So, again, make sure that uh, you guys are getting your entries sent in so that you don't miss out on all these great prices. Um, all right, let's head to our listener email section where each week here on The Edge, listener questions are answered 
uh, by the Bass Edge Pro staff. And if you send us a question, we will automatically enter you into the weekly drawing. So please, if you have a question that you would like answered, chances are you're going to be helping us all out uh, in learning something by sending that in. So simply send that to podcast at BassEdge.com and then just uh, place in the subject line uh, podcast or listener question and we will not only answer that question but uh, we'll also get you in entered into the free drawing but this week's question is from Jeff Carpenter out in California also would like to say hey to Jeff uh, because he I know has recruited uh, several listeners to the the Edge podcast so Jeff thanks for doing that and uh, welcome to all the new listeners that's out there hanging uh, hanging with Jeff but uh, his question is that what is the best barometric pressure for fishing and how does that affect the bite? Um, Jeff, this question, we, th we threw this out to Kurt Dove, and who lives out in Virginia, competes on the BASS uh, Elite Series. But his reply is that that is a great question and it's good that you are looking um, in that much depth to alter your game plan as those variables all add up to a successful day on the water. He prefers a lower pressure, and what he says by that, or what he means by that rather, is he considers anything below 30 to be a, uh, in a low pressure status. And anything above 30 is, is generally considered a high pressure situation. But uh, he really likes the 29 range, and this tells him that the fish are likely to be moving more, and he will normally uh, rely on a reaction type bait such as spinner baits, crank baits, uh, something that is going to create a re reactionary strike. As a result of moving more, they are um, more apt to find the lures in the bait fish. Uh, if if it's a higher pressure, then he'll normally slow down. But he believes that high pressure slows down the feeding habits or the aggressiveness of bass. So again, great question, Jeff. Thanks for sending that in, and thank you, Kurt, for taking time out to answer that. Thanks for the questions. Don't forget to send yours in. But let's pause to take our final break, and we will come back to hear what Rich Dalby has to say about boat wraps. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. Let's join Rich Dalby of Ads on the Go to talk about some of the neat things that are taking place within the boat wrap market. All right, we are joined by Rich Dalby from Ads on the Go, who specializes in uh, boat wraps, amongst other things. Rich, welcome to The Edge. Well, good afternoon, Aaron. Uh, thank you for having me on your show today. You bet. You know, Rich, there's been uh, a lot of, I guess, interest and certainly has gained popularity uh, with regards to the fishing community concerning boat wraps. Yeah, it's a, it's a growing popularity uh, just from the standpoint that uh, from a visibility, it's a great place great way for uh, people to promote their business yeah you know and the, and the unique thing about that is I mean there's there's several factors that's involved here but one of the things that I, I appreciate a really the graphics are unlimited as far as what you want to create on these boat wraps oh it's definitely left up to the imagination of the uh, person doing the creating um, you just find out what uh, somebody is looking for 
and you just sit down at a computer and you just uh, go to work and start designing. Well, and for you know somebody like myself, Rich, who you, you've had to deal with this a little bit yourself, but within uh, you know if you're not creative, I guess would be the easiest way to put it. You know that's that's kind of the the purpose of uh, of the graphic designer, right? Well, it definitely is. You know, they have to have some creativity there that they can see some vision ahead of you know what something might look like before you even put it down. Uh, you know, as far as a layout for a boat or a vehicle. And you know the the neat thing is is that you know let's say if you have a sponsor or a personal business uh, or whomever whatever it is that you want to represent. You know, you can tie in the graphics or the trademarks or the logos, you know, of those companies and, um, you know, blend that in with other um, creative ideas or graphic elements. I mean, it doesn't just have to be just, you know, just per se the, the logo. No, it definitely, and, and uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, the particular color scheme of, you know, one particular sponsor, too. You can come up with a great background and then incorporate four or five different sponsors, you know, so that they're all getting, you know, high visibility for you. You know, and the, the, the other thing that, that comes into the design factor is that you can really look at these and, and see these on a computer screen matched up against your particular boat or tow vehicle, you know, before, um, before the, the final print is actually even done. Yeah, because all we have to do is we just have to know, like, the, uh, the model, um, of whether it's a vehicle or the boat, and we have templates, and we can just uh, lay the design right on there, and you can actually see what it's going to look like when it's uh, uh, installed and you're ready to drive away. So explain a little bit about the process. You know, Rich, if somebody is looking to, to have this done, you know, what is involved and, and what do they need to have to be able to get a boat wrap? Well, the big thing is, you know, they got to have an idea of where they want to go. Um, if they've got like some sponsors, um, we would just need, I'd visit with them, you know, get some ideas on what they're looking for as far as if they have a particular color, say like they might want a red background. Mm -hmm. But then what we would need is if they have some sponsors, we would just need to get like some high resolution files for them so that when you go to blow these up on a vehicle or on a boat, you don't want them to be pixelated. You want them to look as good up close as you do from 10 feet away. That's one thing that we try and do with all of ours. We want them to look sharp and you're standing right next to it as from 10 feet away. So we would just need files like that and then what we do is we just get busy on the design work and then we'll send it to the customer, let them look at it and if they want some changes and we go back and change it and we just do that until they're happy with it. And what about the you know, the, the process or the the application installation onto a boat. What what does that involve? Well, what we have to do is we want to get the boat. You want to make sure there's no wax, um, you know, no decals, no stickers on there. But what we do is we actually go through and we wipe down the whole boat, you know, because, you know, it has road film and everything else on it. And then you can start applying the 3M material that we you want to make sure that it'll lay flat and lay flush. Are there differences in materials that's used? I mean, is, is there a difference in quality? There's, I've seen some product out there that I guarantee um, some people are using, you know, a cheaper made material. We're using only 3M. Uh, we believe in that. 
uh, 3M stands behind all their products, and that's what we want. But, uh, yeah, there's a difference in some uh, materials that are out there. Well, the thing that I've noticed is, I mean, you know, of course, we, we travel all over the country, uh, both for tournaments but also for filming for the television show. And we've been in some pretty uh, sticky places where we've gotten, you know, up against trees and things like that. And, you know, granted, it's it's not steel-plated, not a steel-plated boat, but it, it amazes me is how tough that that material is. Yeah, it's, it's great for that. It's not designed, you know, like if you're going to be running through uh, brush and sharp branches and everything. But what it does is it helps protect the finish on your boat also. Whereas, like, if you didn't have a wrap, you get all them rub marks and everything in there, and you've got to have it buffed out, and sometimes they don't even come out. Yeah. Here with the wrap, once you're done with it after a season, you can just peel that right off, and you've got the same uh, natural sheen that you had on your boat to begin with. Well, and speaking from a protection standpoint, I've actually heard of, I don't know if you've had this to, or heard of this or actually done this, but I've had people that told me that they put a clear wrap over it just for the simple fact of protecting their their boat for resale oh i'm sure you know just put i haven't had anybody you know come to us with that you know because they like the the vivid design but uh no just like a clear laminate uh, i guarantee you that's going to help uh protect their boat you know plus it's easy to wipe down when you're done what about as far as let's say for those who maybe get rid of their boat every year a couple years um, who's interested in a wrap. Talk a little bit about removing the wrap in that process time-wise. What's involved? Uh, generally, it's probably about a two- or three-hour process. Um, it's easy. All you have to do is just take, like, a little heater or, uh, you know, your wife may have a hair dryer or something, but usually just take, like, a little torch and just heat it up, and it'll just peel right away. Um, if there is any glue residue, It'd be real minimal. You just take a material like a goof off or something like that, and you just wipe it down, and you're ready to go. Your boat's ready to be sold and uh, presented out there. What about you know when when you get into because there's a lot of companies uh, you know that's that's dealing in in boat wraps. Talk a little bit about the differences and what you know people need to be aware of out there because you've obviously been in this doing this a long time. Well, you want to make sure that they've actually done boats you know it's easy to sit down on a computer and start designing things but where you're running the problems is through the installation you want to make sure that whether it's a vehicle or a boat that um, the material is being laid flush um, there's companies that are out there that uh, are just slapping these things on there and then, you know, the people are having problems down the road. So I would recommend, you know, just make sure that they've actually been doing this for a while and that they've actually done info. You know, you want to you look and see at some of the work they've done. Are there any, uh, are guarantees or, you know, backing the product or anything like that? Are, are those standard within the industry or what do you look for there? Yeah, basically, you know, what's standard is like on a wrap for a boat, um, there's usually like a, a year installation warranty. Um, you know, you can't uh, basically warranty the product as far as, you know, if it was to get a tear or somebody runs into a corner of a dock or something. Um, but the nice thing that's nice about this is because we keep the files um, in the background. So 
if a person did happen to, you know, have somebody run into it and they might have just took like a inch section off of their wrap, we can uh, print that off and have them ready to go. Well, I know, for instance, uh, like when the Bass Edge boats and tow vehicles were done, you know, you sent extra material uh, with us for that purpose that you can, you know, do some patches. So that's a great idea, too. All right, well, quickly, let's talk, uh, let's spend a little bit of time um, on location because, you know, it is a little bit of a challenge for some people, you know, who may be on the East Coast or the West Coast or, you know, to get a boat wrapped. Do you have any limitations as far as where this can be done? Uh, not anymore. Um, basically, when we first started, you know, we were pretty limited. But right now, um, we've got it set up to where we can pretty much go anywhere in the country. Now, it may depend, you know, because installers, they have installers all around the country. So um, that could have an effect on pricing as far as uh, to a point if they have to you know, drive or overnight stays or whatever, but no, um, it's, uh, limitations are not there anymore. We can take care of anybody across the country. And then, um, from the standpoint, obviously, price, I'm sure, like you said, depends upon, uh, from the graphics, maybe material installation. Is that true, or is it pretty standard? Well, basically, for us, we try and keep our prices pretty standard, because we don't want, um, the whole idea behind this is to help people promote their business and also protect their product, you know, which is their vehicle or their boat. Um, so we want to take care of the people, so we try and keep the prices as uh, minimal as possible. Okay. And then what about, because uh, we are out of time, but how do uh, our listeners get in touch and find out more information uh, from you concerning boat wraps? If they want to check on a boat wrap or a vehicle wrap, um, then get uh, on my website, which is ads on the go, that's A-D-Z-O-N-T-H-E-G-O, or then get in touch with me personally at uh, 903-624-9008 on my cell phone. All right. Well, there you have it. Rich, thanks so much uh, for your time, and thanks for being a part of the Edge, and be sure to uh, check out Rich, Rich Dalby from ads on the go, A-D-Z-O-N-T-H-E.com. Thanks, Rich. Hey, thanks a lot, Aaron. And with that, we are out of time. I want to thank Ken Broder and Rich Dalby for making time for us. And next week, we have Kenyon Hill in the Angler Spotlight along with another great product giveaway as well as listener email question. For more cutting-edge information, be sure to visit us on the website at www.bassedge.com as well as tune us in on the Versus Network every Wednesday and Sunday mornings. Until next time, thanks for joining me, and I look forward to next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.